Well, guys, here we are again uh, in Colorado Springs. You guys are in town for LEAD 2021, and we're very excited to have you here, as always, doing a series of our unfiltered episodes. And we're going to continue again with this episode with the relatively now famous uh, Rapid Fire episodes. Yes. Where Drew asked a question, and we got 90 seconds. Obviously, Gary takes a lot more than that. I take a lot less. <laughs> and we have 90 seconds to respond to your um, insightful questions. Well, my insightful questions were gifted to me by our, our members. Uh, well, they they submitted them at LEAD 2021. We didn't get to them all uh, live on air there. And we've got Danny behind the scenes keeping the clock. We've got Andy on the camera and, and tech. So let's dive right in. You know, I have a great, I have a great team of Danny, what was SDR again? <laughs> Sales development representative. If we believe that's what that person meant, I'm not really sure that's what they meant, but okay, let's go with sales development representative and uh, commercial account managers who perform very well. However, whenever I tried to bring in an additional commercial account managers, things tend to explode. I feel like the first, I feel like the first commercial account manager or CAM, let's go with the acronym, right? Cam. Feels threatened and sabotages. What are some ideas for keeping everyone happy and working as a team instead of competitively? Uh, simple answers here. Uh, three things. First off, uh, all CAMs should have a territory. It should be mapped. So a CAM that starts in Phoenix, Arizona might have the entire market of Phoenix. However, there are eight territories in Phoenix in my CAM system. They know that. So when we bring in the second CAM, it's already known that those territories are not going to be, you don't have all of Phoenix. So CAMs tend to cherry pick the accounts. So when we bring in that person that we're talking about, the word explode, I, I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming that means they're not happy. So we've already told Wally, Wally, you had all of Phoenix at the beginning, but there are eight territories. When we bring in the second one, we'll carve that up. You now have four, they have four. When we bring in the next one, you have three, you have three, you have two, et cetera. So there has to be an organized plan from the beginning. My guess is that doesn't exist. So the expectations are wrong. So you gotta reset those expectations. Second thing is the territories should be uniformly organized based on the number of possible accounts. I mean, you can't just give somebody a lousy territory. So you gotta look at how you're gonna structure those territories. And the third thing is, I'm gonna, I, I want people to recognize that as we grow, the compensation isn't going to negatively impact. I think explode means you're taking away accounts from me or you're taking away opportunities for potential commission from me. I think that's the underlying root cause so the compensation system that we have, we would not penalize somebody for changing the territories and putting somebody else in. So I, I think that there's a lot of questions that I would have relative to that as much as those answers. But those are, the, to me, there's a structural problem there. Okay. Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, what Gary's talking about there is communication and transparency. Having the conversation up front about the eight territories and it will go down to fewer territories as the company expands. I also think it gets back to something we talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago, and that's about the company story. Right, the company story is to grow the company, grow the organism so we can all live and thrive off the organism. There's no way that one person can capitalize on every opportunity out there. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a practical perspective, the conversation that Gary talked about, compensation should not be, you know, uh, it should not come out of one person's pocket for right. somebody else's pocket. It's about an abundance mentality. Yep. You know, that particular individual clearly has a scarcity mentality. Like there's a limited, finite amount of commercial accounts and that if somebody gets five more, that means he gets five less. It's just not that way. The reality is one person cannot capitalize on all the opportunities. You gotta sell them on the company vision, the overall benefit of everybody in the company, 
those 40 mortgages, those 40 trips to the grocery store, everybody has to live off of that. The company can never grow if we're not gonna hire more people. Yeah. So we just have to have that honest conversation and maybe have a little conversation with, about abundance mentality. There's lots of information out there on that. It'll grow, but it'll grow much slower. Yeah, correct. it makes no sense. For, uh, if your people are thinking that you're, you're there to take food off their plate, that makes no sense. You clearly have not gotten them to understand. Right. That would make no sense for me to take food off your plate. I'm looking to enhance your plate. Right. And the way I look to enhance your plate is like you said, give you a smaller concentrated area that you can saturate versus right. going wide, go deep. Right. right in in a, in a fewer select number of let's say zip codes because that's why back at Cameron and Sons I even did that residentially I know we talked about meritocracy earlier on lead allocation but we did it via zip code and my brother ended up at John my best sales guy he ended up having only five zip codes um, and I I told these guys I said listen we're gonna add people to the team mm -hmm. and the more people I have out there driving around now in you know the company you know rolling billboards right uh, you know that you've got wrapped you know wrapped up and planning flags, the more territory we claim as an organization, and these businesses all talk through the Chamber of Commerce and other things that they're all involved in, right? I mean, the better it is going to be for all of us. So your job in a smaller area is actually going to get easier and more lucrative, you know, but they don't see it that way unless you help them see it. It's communication. Gotta you have clarity of communication. Yep. All right, so let's go to Weldon next. Do you recommend using net profit, net profit dollars per man hour when estimating? Uh, I don't know answer the question. I would guess we're talking about gross profit dollars per man, which would be a specialty of Mr. Ellix over there in terms of the number of gross dollars that each crew has to uh, generate in, in any given day. So I'm not sure it'd be net profit dollars because let's face it, the guy doing the install has no control over net profit. Doesn't have control over overhead for sure. Right, but it's so, for building it. So let's say estimating to build the price, I'm assuming, is what they're asking. It's not very, it's not a detailed question, but I know there's another, uh, another consultant out there um, uh, Ruth King, and she talks about net profit dollars per hour. I know you talk about pricing gross profit dollars per hour. Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately we are getting to net profit yes. dollars, and that's what we care about. Yep. How we get to that place, you know, I think there's a wide range of solutions to that. So the accounting sophistication of the company would, my recommendation would be based on their sophistication of accounting. So gross profit dollars per day or man hour are an easy way to get into that idea. If you have overhead, and your overhead is allocated, that's what we talked about today, that's a phase two kind of a stretch when you're allocating overhead across departments. That's a sophisticated concept. Yeah. You have to be capable of doing that. So net profit dollars per hour would require you to look at your overhead yeah. in each department and understand the overhead per hour or the overhead per day. So I'm all for it. I just think that it's probably a difficult proposition for the vast majority of contractors. So you start off with gross profit dollars per man day, gross profit dollars per hour in service, and then you move into the overhead and you look at net profit from that point forward. So I'm for it. I'm just not sure that very many contractors can execute that strategy unless they have detailed overhead. If I just had for the record, I'm for it before I was against it. <laughs> if, if, if a, if a uh, listener, a viewer here, um, wanted to learn about pricing and budgeting and things like that and how to, you know, to yep. do this, is there a place that they could either like go see this like online or attend a class? There's a multitude of videos that take you through step-by-step step how to actually get to gross profit dollars per hour and then get overhead allocation. That's all on the best practices site, section four, under overhead allocation, under departmentalization. And then we teach a three-day class where we actually force the implementation, where we physically help you actually work through those numbers and we allocate those budgets. 
Uh, and so I think that there's a multitude of places you can do that. I use a different technique. I actually tied Gary up in my basement <laughs> and had my accountant come meet with him. You just bought a bottle of Whistlepig 18 and said, come on over. By the way, I just had my first sip of that Whistlepig 18. Sublime comes to mind. Fantastic. Our sales meetings are, we've had conversations about uh, meetings before in these uh, sessions. Our sales meetings are not efficient or productive. We have two in sales. I, I assume that means two salespeople in sales. So we're not big enough for a sales manager. So by default, yes, you are because the owner therefore would be the sales manager. <laughs> it's your hat. The function is there. <laughs> the function is there. Someone's got to put the hat on, right? Any suggestions on how to structure our weekly sales meeting to make it, uh, to make them more productive? Yeah, I think you need an agenda and I think you need to plan your agendas out. You know, uh, if you're doing it weekly, I would do uh, four per month. So I'd plan those out for the month. What's the what's the month of January look like? What's the month of March look like? And so the second thing I would say is, you know, integrate videos, integrate third parties, bring somebody like you in, bring Wally in, you know, videos. There's lots of uh, tactics that you can use to break up the actual agenda so that it isn't just me preaching to somebody, you know, for an hour or two hours on a sales meeting. Uh, you talked about this in an earlier episode. You could have, you know, uh, discussions of successful salespeople. They can take portions of sure. the agenda. They can teach practices, share best practices. You can so bring in a manufacturer. There's tons of places where you can go get people, vendors that can come in and talk about products. We've had all kinds of people come in and do those kind of things, including yourself. So yes. I think there's lots of ways that you can approach that. And Weldon, you've run obviously a, a very successful sales organization in your, your first iteration of it as a contractor and obviously now in your second uh, life as a contractor. Because uh, you just were a glutton and for companies yeah, as well. And, and you've been a glutton for punishment, so you decided to get right. back in it. And so you're now doing this. You are now that, that sales manager, right? So I am Talk, talk right to me now. about the framework you use. Listen, for, for the me. single biggest threat to effective, productive sales meetings is a bitch session. Yeah. And it's very easy for us to complain. One of the things I've noticed is that when people complain, they're always complaining about something externally right? The leads aren't good. The weather's not good. The economy's not good. I get uh, too many marketed leads, not enough tech turnovers. And these meetings can, can, uh, you know, can dissolve down to that kind of meeting very quickly. You can't let that happen. You don't need a sophisticated strategy. You sit down with your salespeople and you say, hey, let's go over last week's or last month's or yesterday's results, whatever it is, kind of break down what happened to leads and then ask your salespeople, give me three things that you can control that could have been done to make the outcome better. You have to make sure that their conversations are focused on what they can do to improve the situation. Don't, anytime they start and you tell them, you can't point out anything outside of yourself, right? That, you, that, that needs to be done. You know, we're not gonna talk about external things. We don't control those things. We don't control the economy. We don't control the homeowner's credit. We don't control the competitor's prices. You have to focus on things you can control and force them to have conversations that turn internal about what they can do to make the situation better. And it's, it's like herding cats. And you gotta remind them, you'll have to remind them 50 times in a half hour conversation. We're not gonna talk about external things. What can you do to make the situation better? Can uh, I share with you how we handle that? We, we literally have a flip chart or a whiteboard and we take that and we put that in the parking lot. We acknowledge that that idea exists and we put it up there. And we have a card which says WTF, wasting my time, WMT. And then we have, a, the other side is agree. So, when that happens, we literally flip the card up and we put that on the board and we move on. So we're not telling you that it's not a real thing. We're telling you this is not the place for that real thing. There's a right. place for that. And so right. we move it over here. 
And so right. if, if my guys also, start complaining there's about- also a video somewhere on EGIA right. that actually tells you how to run a productive meeting and a productive sales meeting. Right. And it's actually titled, How to Run a Meeting. I like it, how he led out though. He did, he did say he has this thing, you know, where basically we're, we're gonna acknowledge it, we're gonna put it on the board. Right. And he went out and he literally said WTF first. He recovered and went right. WMT, right? right. <laughs> Just saying- That's the will it. That's the will it, right? There we go. That's the will it. Blame the will If my guys start complaining about the economy, I say, hey, go run for office, do what you can to change it. But today <laughs> we have to focus on what we can do. If, if they're focused on homeowner's credit, and start complaining about that. You know, go open a nonprofit for credit re uh, repair if you want to. Yeah. But today we got to talk about how we can be effective in the scope of those challenges. Length of sales meeting, best day to have it. Uh, best day to have it. I like it early in the week. Monday's a crazy hectic morning. I like Tuesday mornings, Wednesday mornings, early in the week, the better. Uh, one hour tops. Yeah. Tuesdays, one hour. Okay, cool. All right, what costs, uh, we'll go over, this is a G-Man question, you can just say, I concur. I concur. And I concur as well. <laughs> Whatever happens. Yeah. What, what costs do you include before determining gross profit? Oh, that's easy. General accepted accounting principles, it's on the budget tool, it's on the financial model. Uh, direct labor, benefits for direct labor. Materials, which parts and materials, expendables. Equipment, serial numbered items. Rebates, consumer promotions, which gets left off. Financing costs needs to be embedded in that. We amortize that across permits, subcontracts, commissions, sales commissions, SPIFs, any incentives. Some companies won't have the ability to have equipment, so they might have to pay freight. Freight would be one of those things. If you were buying something and it was freight charge, you would put that in. Basically, that's it. You're looking at the general accepted accounting principles. Did you say warranty? Warrant, extended warranty, extended warranty okay. and warranty expense. Yeah. Uh, and I saw you answered a question in the Ask the Experts uh, email channel yep. uh, today. So touch on that if you could for a moment, because I don't think our viewers all know that. There were about eight I questions. Know. Which I one are you talking about? The, the one where the person asked about the unapplied time or the shop time. Yes. Go ahead yes. with that one. There is no such thing. It doesn't exist. It's all direct labor. So if you decide you want to pay your guys hourly and you don't have work for them, and you've got them in building metal or painting floors or you know toothbrush under the you know the crevices. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You're paying them, but that actually belongs in direct labor. You don't put that in overhead, and you don't put that in unapplied time. There is no such thing as unapplied time or unapplied labor. It's all applied, and it's all direct labor if that's your guys. Do you concur? I concur. <laughs> I can add more, but I won't. All right. Um, we've had questions about commissions, so I'm going to just ask this. And again, there may not be one answer to this. How much average pay for a salesperson? If it's full commission, what is the percentage? And if it's partial commission and salary, what's the percentage? I would say on, uh, we pay on gross margin and don't quote me on this uh, sliding scale, but I think it's pretty accurate. If it's a 60% margin or better, the comfort advisor gets 25% of the gross profit and then it slides down from there, right? If it's 50, you know, they might get 20%. If it's beneath, if it's 45 to 50, they, they might get 18%. I don't know the exact, but it slides down the lower the gross profit, the, the lower the percentage they get. Everybody's tied to that and, you know. Is there a salary with your company too? No. No salary, That's so that would be the gross profit dollar percentage and the commission percentage. And I know you referenced earlier, yep. yes, paying a salary. I do. And But you're also gonna be on gross profit dollars. It's a it's a low salary. Low it's salary. Not, it's not enough to live on. Okay, so, so give your framework. So the gross profit dollars, we would set a sales plan for the year. That would be broken down into months. So each month would have a gross profit target for the month. So I will pay for the, a percentage, 14% of gross profit dollars in the first trimester. That's a higher gross profit number than we will pay the second and third trimesters because we, we know that that's a tougher period. We want them to actually do what we need them to do. 
bring us jobs with gross profit dollars. So I won't penalize people for doing what I'm asking them to do, which is if you have to do a little discounting, and I know that you're not necessarily in love with discounting, but if I have an open crew day or I have six crews and sure. I've only got one job, I need to recover the overhead. So I will incent them. And so how we would pay that would be a percentage of the gross profit. But the kicker is there's a target for that quarter, that trimester. And if they hit that total target, I'm going to give them a percentage of the increment that they gain over that. Okay. So let's just use a fake example, 200,000 gross profit dollars for the first trimester. So you're gonna get paid 14% of that 200,000. Okay. But if you hit 270,000 gross profit dollars, and that helps me recover my overhead, which is I'm gonna be profitable, I'm gonna give you a share of that extra $70,000. And I'm gonna accrue that through the year. So at the end of the year, because you did well for me, I'm going to give you a percentage of that and I give them 20% of the overage. Okay. So they will make a lot of money if they're successful achieving over plan. Mm -hmm. At plan, they get X. Okay. X is dependent upon what the company wants to pay. 80 to $150,000 is sort of the sales range, okay? But I like my people to make more than that. Sure. They have to perform though. Rich salespeople equal rich company in my opinion. You got it. Okay, I'm gonna come back to you on this question because it's kind of a, a later question, but it, it's tangential. Uh, the question uh, is best to commission on gross profit dollars or net profit dollars. Now, the interesting thing, we both know a company that was a service experts company up in New York, yep. our friend Roland J. Down, yep. and he paid on net profit. Yep. Okay. And you're paying on gross profit. Yep. Okay. Talk about pluses, minuses, which is why. Yeah. Uh, again, the accounting sophistication of Roland J. Down in the later years was very high. And so because he had great accounting, he had a CPA on staff. Yes. They had their dual overhead numbers. They rota rotated those numbers daily. They had great sophistication. So paying on net profit is great. It's definitely the preferred method. Okay, 99.9% .9 of the companies <laughs> right. in our trade can't do that. Right, right. So gross profit dollars is, so we always talk about the simplest method tends to win in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's understandable. So gross profit dollars is relatively easy to get your accounting system set up. So I favor it because it's easily understood by the sales professionals. It's easily dealt with by the accounting function. And so for me, the simplicity there wins out. It's a little bit like flat rate versus, you know, figuring jobs individually. Okay. You know, a cookbook price book is done for a reason. Yes. I can't find people that are you experts all the time. You guys don't grow on trees. So if I get a guy or a girl that I bring in, I can give them a system. The flat rate book gives them the tool. So I pay them based on that. They don't control overhead. So I'm not sure it's reasonable for them they to be paid I on this. how I decide I want to live my lifestyle. If I want to fly my jet out here at Colorado Springs yes. and I'm billing that to my company and the depreciation is in there, why should they pay the penalty because I'm living a lifestyle that I want? So they don't have to worry about that on the gross profit line. They control right. everything from sales to the GP line. I would just add to this and what Gary I think is saying, if you're going to do that, you got to have a set of books so clean you can eat off of them. Yeah. You bet. Right? Because and most companies don't have books that are that clean. That is correct. The owner has a boat in there that's being expensed. He might have a vacation home. That's called the aquatic training center. I pay myself center. more rent. That is the aquatic training center. The, it's not a boat. It's the aquatic the training aquatic, center. Right. right. So if I'm a sales guy, and if I find out that those kind of uh, perks are being expensed, and that's affecting my commission, I'm not going to be very happy with it. Your that. Ferrari or RV is in there as a depreciation expense. Well, my RV, certainly. I don't really like that idea as a sales Actually, professional. So the reality is you'd have to have a, a books like a publicly traded company clean books. I have an to answer to, to that. that. So we go sales, cost of goods sold, gross profit, controllable overhead, which is the yeah. overhead that's assigned to the business that's right. directly related to the business, and then controllable EBIT, 
That's what I would pay on. Okay. And then we have uncontrollable overhead, which is Gary's jet and your RV and everything else that goes underneath. And nobody cares about that because they're not being paid on that. They're being right. paid above that. Yeah, if, if I was paying my guys and they knew they were their commissions were affected by a $600 bottle of Van Winkle, they wouldn't be happy about that. I, I wouldn't be. All righty. Not unless you share it.